Hello everyone, you are listening to the Igbo Initiative podcast with Ugochi Onyewu. Welcome to the show. Hello everyone, welcome to the Igbo Initiative podcast where we celebrate Igbo culture by speaking to amazing women in different walks of life who are either Igbo or have a very close tie to the Igbo culture. On today's episode, we speak to Rita Okoye. Riri, as she is affectionately called, is the CEO of Majestically Rare Limited. With an enviable reputation for creativity, excellence and integrity, Majestically Rare is an international events and training consultancy based in Lagos, Nigeria. The company is dedicated to providing world-class services, and this is evident from the raving reviews from clients. Majestically Rare is committed to professionalism and excellence in all they do. Riri's approach to event planning is from an international perspective with roots that come from managing events for world-class brands like the BBC and Financial Times. In Nigeria, she has managed corporate events and training for brands like MTN, IHS Towers, Stanbic IBTC, Diamond Bank and ACAN, just to mention a few. In her spare time, Riri is committed to raising confident girls in her community. She plans events to equip girls to become great leaders. Riri founded a Facebook group called Raising Confident Girls to discuss and provide solutions on ways to raise confident girls in the 21st century. The Facebook group now has over 28,000 members. On today's show, Riri talks to me about her experience moving to Nigeria from London at age 11, where she went to high school. She also talks about her move back to Nigeria 10 years ago, self-confidence regardless of personality, and her views on Igbo as a dying language. Good morning, Rita. Thank you so much for joining today. I'm really excited to speak with you. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Ugochi. Good morning. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm very well. I'm very well. We're having very cool weather here, so we thank God it's not too hot. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So um, I've obviously introduced you to the audience, but maybe you can start by giving us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about um, how you grew up as an Igbo girl. Yes. Because okay. I know you were born in the UK and then you went to yes. secondary school. So just talk us through that that a little bit. Okay. So I was born in the UK and when I was in the UK, I wasn't really aware of my Igbo-ness, if mm. I want to put it in brackets like that, until I was sent to secondary school when I was 11. So mm. the thing was, when I was living there, I knew my parents were Nigerian, but I couldn't really identify with it apart from every so often my mom would cook you know, like Nigerian food and all that. Mm. And unfortunately, in that era, they didn't speak Igbo to us in the house. Mm. So it was only when I went to a worry when I was 11 that, you know, it struck me that I was, you know, Igbo and I went to a worry girls then. But and that was a big shock for me. It was a culture shock because back in those days, especially when I was growing up in the UK, there was all the roots. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of the film with yes. Kunta Kente. Yeah. So there was a lot of teasing. So there was a lot of negativity about being African, which mm. I didn't want to identify mm. myself with. And with my name being Rita also, 
I just thought to my, I was, I went through identity, like, um, you know, confusion because mm. I just felt as white as every other girl in my school, but I was brown in complexion. Yeah. My name was Rita, just like all of them. I ate fish and chips. My favorite Sunday meal was a Sunday roast, you know. Mm. So growing up in those formative years was, you know, it wasn't unhappy, but I did go through identity crisis. Mm. And then when I went to a worry where I thought, okay, I'm brown like everybody else. I'm going to be all cool. There was also another issue there because I was now regarded as someone from London you know um, when I started the school I was almost like a celebrity because I'm not sure that there were many people returning as much as there are today right uh, you know so everybody would laugh at my accent and mm. I just remember the first two days of school you know all the girls following me saying what is your name what is your name and I said and I had quite a cockney accent there so I'd say my name's Rita and they'd all, all start laughing you know so, you know, yeah so, so you, sorry to cut you off so you moved back to uh, Nigeria at 11 or had you yes, been in Nigeria eight. okay 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 no I moved back there but I'd actually visited Nigeria when I was age four and then again when I was age nine so oh. I've been there twice before oh, I see. but never lived okay. there right yes. right right been right. on holiday so yeah. straight from London to a worry to a worry girl. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, so, mm. so, so it's. I guess it's a difficult question to ask then because you had this mm. identity confusion growing up. Yes, and not yes. really wanting to embrace who you were as an Igbo girl because you didn't want That's to stand right. out. And I, I've heard yes. this in. It's kind of a, a recurrent theme in a couple of other interviews I've had as well. Okay, but I guess how would you say? being evil has shaped you as a person would you say did i know your your early years you couldn't really say yes. that it did because you just mm. didn't want to embrace it but yes. looking back now um mm. could you see that yes it did have an influence even though i didn't want to embrace it kind of helped me become who i was who i am today Do you yes see I'm going? you know yes because sometimes you don't realize influences until you're older and that when I had children, I insisted that all of them have Igbo names. And mm. remember, I told you about my confusion with the Rita. Mm. So all my children had Igbo names, even though they were also like me, born in the UK. Because mm. I didn't want them, you know, I, when I started to introduce culture to them, I didn't want them to say, well, what, you know, what, what is that? So at least with their name being Chisom mm. and, you know, my, my, the other children's names, it was very easy for them to say, OK, so this is not an English name and I can identify with it being from Igbo land. Mm, yes. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Did you learn Igbo <laughs> when you were a child? Yes. Oh, well, good. the thing was, I didn't, I didn't learn it as a child, but okay. by the time I got to secondary school, I was kind of like forced into right. it because I think that as a child, and it was probably our parents' era, they, especially for Igbos, they had this thing of not speaking Igbo to children. I don't exactly. know what it was, but yes. they just didn't. So mm. I learned it in the worry girls, you mm. know, so, even though a lot of students spoke to me in English because I had come from England, I still listened. So by the time I left um, Worry Girls after four years, I could understand everything and speak it. Mm. Yes. Mm. So talk, but not as fluently as them. Yeah, <laughs> not as well, fluent them, well, <laughs> yeah, well, at least you could you could talk, which is great, which is great. Yes. So you said you learned Igbo at Worry Girls. So I'd like to. I did. Talk a little bit about your experience there, because you, you've come from London, having only visited yes. Nigeria twice, never really speaking mm -hmm. Igbo, being, and you're very yes. English, I know this, right? Yes. So, <laughs> And then you're thrust into Oweri Girls, which is like, yes. you know, as Igbo as it comes, right? I'm uh, you, you know, yeah. So <laughs> I know that initially, you know, there was a teasing. I'm sure they saw you as, who is this person? You know, I'm she has the same you, yeah. skin, but she speaks hmm. so differently. And yeah. 
over time, if you, uh, looking back, would you say that was a happy time for you? Did you make really good friends? What, what oh, was it definitely, like? definitely. I mean, that was the best thing that my parents could have done for me because, okay. you know, as you know, I'm married to an Igbo man. Mm-hmm. And if I hadn't gone to that school, if I hadn't had that experience, mm. when he wanted us to come and relocate back to um, Nigeria 10 years ago, I probably wouldn't have. But, you know, because of that experience I had, even though I was still resisting coming back to Nigeria when he said, oh, let's go home. It had that experience in um, in 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 Oware for those four years. It kind of broke me into the society. So mm. even though there was a bit of a culture shock coming back 10 years ago, it wasn't as shocking as when I was a teenager or preteen yeah. when I came back. Yeah, yeah because you kind so, of knew what to expect. And, this, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and funny like, enough, mm-hmm. in the um, 90s, there was this era of that's where Nollywood started. And I started watching Nollywood in London. Uh-huh. And I was so obsessed with Nollywood. All my cousins <laughs> that were coming from Lagos or where I'd say, bring me the movies. And, mm. you know, when I was watching those movies, there was some nostalgia in the huh. Nollywood films that reminded yeah. me of back home. And, you know, so maybe the Ibones from, you know, growing up yeah. as a teenager and that, yeah. you know, did stay with me. Yeah, that's so, amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. So I'd love to yeah. obviously get to moving back to Nigeria and we'll spend quite some time talking about that because obviously you're okay. in Lagos now. You don't yes, live in the are. UK. But there's no. a little bit of a gap that I want you to talk us through from when you okay. finished secondary school in Nigeria. Did mm, you move yes. back to the UK and you lived there? Yes. And Yeah, talk us so through I moved that. Back, yeah, I moved back to the UK when I was 16 after finishing my YEC in secondary school mm-hmm. in Awari. And then that was a culture shock because all my English friends... Now, you know, my accent had changed and everything. So, you know, I went through all that again. Oh, my God, you sound so African now, you know. So (laughs) I lost a few friends, you know. And it also affected my confidence because Mm. I didn't have their accent and I was doing A-levels and there was a lot of, um, you know, public speaking and all that in the Mm. courses I took. I always told the teachers I didn't want to speak because anytime I did speak, I'd hear a snigger from somebody in the class because maybe I didn't pronounce the words properly. You know, Mm. I'd say things like embarrass instead of embarrass, you know, so. So there was, you know, that whole adapting back to, you know, being back in the UK. So, yeah, it was a challenging time again, just re-identifying. And then I went for a a season, Ugochi, where I had a chip on my shoulder. And that was probably by the time I was 18, 19, where I became so pro-black, you know, (laughs) pro-black. It was almost like I was a militant. Yes, I went through that phase too. (laughs) Yeah, in London, yeah. (laughs) I'm telling you. And I even had, because I had, I was working at the time and the point in the, my manager said to me that everybody thinks that you have a chip on your shoulder. (laughs) And I, and I, and I didn't confess it, but looking back, I did. Uh, yeah, uh, I remember that okay. era. It was 1988, okay. 89, Fight yeah, the Power yeah, and all yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there were all these movies coming in from America. Yes. I was like, yeah, it's because I'm black, you know? <laughs> I'm black and I'm proud. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. Oh, so you went yeah. to uni, obviously, in the UK. Yes, and I know I you did. worked at the BBC for a while. So I tell did, us a yes. Bit. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, because what happened was when I came to the UK in 1986, I didn't go straight to uni like a lot of my peers. A lot of people, you know, by, by the time you finish um, secondary school, you do A-levels and you go straight to university. My route was different because it was all to, to do with that lack of confidence. I wasn't sure that I was going to get into university, so I didn't apply. I went oh. straight into, I took a managerial role, yes, and I went mm. to a bank. Mm. 
Mm. So I worked for NatWest Bank in a managerial role for five years. Mm. And then I went back to UD as a mature student. Oh, okay. Well, mature. Good for you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, at age 24, I just quit mm. the bank and said I was going back, you know, because my dad at the time kept saying to me, Rita, all you, you know, my typical <laughs> Nigerian thing, all your mates are graduates. <laughs> so I think that eventually I listened to him and I went back and I did my degree. Mm. And, and my degree was in media communications and all of that. So mm. um, eventually I did some a stint. I did some work experience at pride magazine mm. and then yes it was a media company marketing and events and then from there i did a small another experience at financial times magazine and that you know those two jobs led me into the bbc where i stayed for eight years mm. in marketing and events there until i came back to nigeria mm. so it was a really good experience you know the whole branding with bbc it's a world-class brand yeah, they did a lot of training and all of that you know they had yeah. very good perks so and I also had my children at the time. They had fantastic maternity packages. Yes. So I wasn't, you know, I wasn't on my way to going to anything else. So, oh, wow. You know, I did that and then we moved back. Yes. And you met so your Nigeria. husband, obviously. Yes, <laughs> I met him now. through a, yeah. a friend. Yes, mm. a friend said to me one day, oh, yes, I have a nice friend that, you know, you should meet and all. And, you know, mm. we met and the rest is history. But, yeah. yeah, we've been married 19 years now. Perfect. That's so, amazing. Yeah. That's great. That's mm-hmm. great. So then mm. he wakes up one day and he's like, Rita. I'm telling you. <laughs> I want us it's to like move he back. He's 40. Yeah. He's <laughs> okay. his 40th. And uh, I think that a lot of his friends were going back. And, mm. you know, he just got to a point in the UK where he just didn't feel that he was going to get to, the, you know, the place that he really wanted to. And, you know, he had seen he had he had been going back and forth for the past five years mm. because we had prob- we had initially um, said that we were going to go to Abuja, but after a while we decided that it was Lagos it was coming to. So it was five years of telling me and, you know, my mom said, you better follow your husband, you know. (laughs) Yeah, eventually I came. And it was a soft landing because when we came, he got a good job. He was a manager for um, Diamond Bank. They Mm. gave us a good package to come back, you know, Mm. and the Mm. area that we live in, you know, was really like a soft landing for us. Yeah. 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 Mm. So talk a little (laughs) bit about that experience. I know you said it was a soft landing and obviously, you know, Nigeria is a great place to be as you mm. can attest to but yeah but you still came from a different country and That's yeah, yeah. So, yes. so tell us a little bit about the adjustment period moving mm. back to Lagos in particular because yes. I know what the culture is like in Lagos and just adjusting yeah. to that talk us through that it's a big adjustment and what I would say was the adjustment is like both physically and mentally you know, because people say say to me, how do you stay here? And if you look at, you know, because the UK and all the, you know, it's a first world country and everything, this place is labeled as a third world. So, you know, you're adjusting to things like NEPA challenges, traffic, mm-hmm. you know, all the things you see more beggars in the street and all of that. Mm-hmm. So there is that whole process of change Mm. and then also the people are different because i find that in nigeria especially lagos people are more aggressive Mm. than in the uk and the way i was raised in the uk i was raised to be very polite very you know like apologetic almost you know even when i went this summer i heard a lot of people say you know you bump into someone i'm I'm sorry sorry. i'm sorry that doesn't happen here (laughs) you know (laughs) and you know and the thing is that when they saw that sort of personality it you know, my personality coming from the UK in this type of environment, you can almost get taken advantage of because mm. they're like, oh, she's soft, you know. Mm-hmm. So I had to adapt myself and I had to be more assertive. I never wanted to get to a point where I was aggressive, but I wanted to be, I had to be more assertive. So I even, you know, coming back here knocked my confidence a bit because 
another thing that happened was by the time I came back here, I saw a lot of a lot of peers that were my age and that were doing really well, you know, mm. top jobs and everything. And I thought, so what's happened? You know, what, where did they yeah. get to this point and why am I at that level? You know, yeah. so I had a and this place, unfortunately, the area that I live, you know, we live on the lecky access. Mm. There's a lot of um, the mindset is based on materialism yes. you know you yeah. see a lot of money on this yeah. side of town and everything yeah. you know so I, w- I there was a bit of um peer pressure i'd mm. say and i remember going to england after i came i came back um a year later <laughs> i went to england and i was looking for the biggest designer bag i'm telling you go to <laughs> yeah. silly isn't it yeah and i was carrying it around People, you know, women were just looking at me like, oh, you're accepted now because you have this big bag. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I know. So yeah. I, I had to go through all of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes. But you finally found your feet. Yeah, you finally found yes, your feet. Yes, I did. Yeah. And, and did. you know, you're an inspiration to me also because I know that. Oh. I know from your story <laughs> that it wasn't easy, but you, you still yes. kind of out of that. You started mm-hmm. the business. So you started Majestically Rare. Yes. Well, not initially. Initially, okay. I worked for two different companies. Oh, good. Okay. I worked for a training company, and then I actually worked for a church as head of events. Okay. And it, it was really important for me to do that, because in this environment, you really need to be networked mm. in order to get business. It's not like maybe in the UK or America. Mm-hmm. I haven't really lived in America, but I can't comment there. But in the UK, you can do soft advertising mm. and all of that and, mm. you know, start growing your business. But here, people, because of a lack of trust, yes. people really need to know you, yes. you know. Yes. So it was it was good now, those foundations of both working in those two organizations and just understanding the way the different ways people work here was a good you know good adjustment for me before I stepped out and set up Majestically Rare so Mm. Majestically Rare was set up in 2012 and it and and it when it started it it's grown really organically in the sense of I started off doing children's events Mm. that you know because I did some pop idol party around that time oh yeah I remember and then all her friends mothers they all wanted that kind of thing for their kids Mm. you know so after I did all children's events and I moved to wedding planning so I was now a wedding planner you know Mm. and then I did that for a few years and now I've moved you know naturally into corporate events so my Mm. I, I still do social events every now and then but corporate events are now the thing that I do and you know like also with corporate events they have to see a track record they have to sort of believe that you can deliver on what you do so Mm. it's really been a slow process Mm, (laughs) you know nothing is you know nothing is built overnight you have to pay your dues you have Mm -hmm. to understand the market understand behavior buying behavior Mm. and all of that before Mm. you can you know before you start seeing well me before I started seeing a shift in my revenue growth Mm. yes Mm. so where would you say the biggest uh, success has come from has it been from the kids events the social or the corporate where where is (laughs) definitely corporate (laughs) of course of course yeah, corporates yeah. really. And the thing about corporates is you match because I've come from a marketing background too. A lot of events I do, they always have that a marketing business objective. Mm-hmm. So they like the fact that I'm not just throwing, you know, delivering an event for them for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. They know that there, you know, there there are objectives that they're trying to achieve. So that really helps me have an advantage over event planners that don't have a marketing background yes. in corporate events. Yeah, and I'm yes. sure your time at the BBC helped as well because that's a yes. brand name, right? So that's, exactly, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. it did. Okay. Especially training because mm-hmm. even when I was in the BBC, I was in the training department for a while there. So I was even doing training packages and things like that there. So that's helped with mm. the training side of my business. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and even though corporate's the most lucrative, would you say that's the most enjoyable or do you enjoy 
um, mainly the social events, working with kids? What area would you say you've, you, you enjoy the most? The less stressful is corporate. <laughs> <laughs> but every, the thing about it is that I've done so many different types of events. Like I've done product launches. I've done black tie events for mm-hmm. corporates. I've done weddings. I've done social events. So they all come with different things. But, I mean, I do like the social events, mm-hmm. but I do, in terms of enjoyment, hmm, mm-hmm. I probably would say I like really classy black tie events. So whether yeah. they're corporates or they're social events, you know, the ones where everybody dresses up, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I tend to enjoy those. Yeah, you talked about, yeah. you talk about the social events being stressful. Yes. I remember the story, um, and I don't know if you remember telling me this, of mm. a wedding that you had <laughs> planned and yes. this lady wasn't even on the guest list and she showed up I'm with eight you. other people and they were in uniform. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> I had a good I was, laugh. Even, yeah, because I was, I was at events this summer in, the, in London. I was there for the summer holidays and I just was observing how in London like they'll put a guest list at the front of the door and everybody just looks at their number and goes and sits in their seat without anything in Nigeria guests will actually take the number table number and swap it and put another number where they want to sit and it's just like really ridiculous sometimes but it's all fun and games yeah here, exactly you know? it's, it's all fun and one games. thing I know about I want to say to you Gochi one thing I know about being here is that I know that I'm alive yes that's a yeah. thing Yes, you talked mm. about just before we started the recording, you talked about the sense of purpose. Um, and would you oh, say yes. that starting Majestically Rare has really given you that sense of purpose that you wouldn't have otherwise achieved if you'd stayed at the BBC or if you'd stayed working in a corporation? Well, guess what? What's given me the biggest purpose is, is not actually Majestically Rare. It's Raising Confident Girls. Mm, yeah. You know, it's a charity organization that um, we started about four years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that to me has really, you know, when I, if I ever think about going back to the UK, I just think to myself, no, this mm. thing is just, it's really, um, it's even changed my life. Because mm. the thing about confidence is the more you talk about confidence, to other people, the more you become confident in yourself, you know, Mm. and just seeing the life changes, going to schools and talking to girls. And, you know, I believe that without, you know, with confidence, you can achieve so much more when you believe in yourself and when you don't have those self-doubts than, Mm. you know, just coasting along. So Mm. I'm, you know, I'm really glad to be on that platform. I'm glad for the movement. I'm glad, you know, we go to, sometimes we go to, um, underprivileged places and we you know we uh, pay for school fees mm. and then we see the feedback and then these girls are getting sponsorships mm. to go further it's honestly yeah. that that for me is just like you know that mm. gives me purpose and mm. you know um, it's something mm. that I really proud to belong to yeah so so talk about yes. that because um that's a good mm. segue how did it what what made you think about starting this organization tell the audience yes. what it is what the mission is and the objectives talk a bit about that yes so raising confident girls we are a empowerment movement and our main target audience are actually the moms even though we speak to girls in schools we have this big um, forum on Facebook I think we're Mm -hmm. up to about 28,000 members most members are based in um, Nigeria but they are all over the world you know and our mission really is to identify best ways to raise confident girls Mm -hmm. and provide support and solutions because because of my experience like even in church I've you know worked around girls even before I started this movement um, I've done a lot of, I've done some mini workshops for girls and because of the peer pressures of this environment, especially Lagos, I started mm. to feel 
feel, you know, a bit like if these girls, you know, don't grow up with the right values, they're going to do the wrong things to mm. get those things, you know, like yes. all the designer bags and yes. things like that. And also because I, I have a daughter and at the time when I was thinking about this, she was at her prime teens mm. where there was a lot of peer pressure. You know, this just came out, you know, one day I just thought to myself, God, shall I start this? But, you know, there was a lot of anticipation because I wasn't sure how it was going to be received, you know. But eventually when I started the group, everybody was like, you know, we've had so many discussions on raising confident girls. We've mm -hmm. gone to schools. Mm -hmm. So it's really something that is, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're changing. We're changing lives, yeah. hopefully. Yeah, it's amazing. Group. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly... Oh think that getting girls early i have a daughter too i think that's yes. just such a it's just so impactful and so powerful mm. what you're doing and I, i'm sure yeah. you can see the results uh -huh. of your of your labor right so yeah yeah, well, yeah. it's a mind it's a mindset change mm -hmm. really because yeah. um you know people just have different things about confidence and you know when i say confidence i don't mean that you have to be really loud because everybody's yes. personality is different of so course. sometimes people think that when you talk about confidence you mean extrovert mm. and i don't mean that i just mean that ability to believe in your gifts and your skills and mm. you know not to knock yourself down and mm. say that you know so that's, you know, our vision is a world where every girl is confident. So anytime we're talking about, you know, raising confident girls, even when we do, we started doing annual conferences and we done, we did the first big one this April mm -hmm. and we had some fantastic speakers, you know, psychologists mm. who were talking to mothers and telling them about what's going on. Because these are people that talk to girls one-on-one -on -one in therapy mm. and the, pres the pressure is real. You know, you're in Nigeria where we never heard of it before. We're having incidences of suicide now mm, because yeah. of yeah. social media yes. and all of that, you know. So we really have to keep the conversations going mm. and, you know, keep mm. talking to the girls. Mm. And mm. What, so that's, uh, <clears throat> what are the ages of the girls that you speak to? Well, our target audience, I'd say, is between 9 to 14. Because, okay. I, you know, I find that by the time they're 14, you yes. kind of like would have taught them everything. Yeah. Yes, yeah, they're set, yes. Yeah. And yeah. then I find that and there's even been a report, which I actually posted on my forum today. And girls tend to lose their confidence around 12. So you do find, mm. and I, even when I think about myself, I yes. was a very confident young girl when mm. I was eight, you know, but it's when you get into those pre-teen, mm. you know, years, those, um, that's when you start doubting yourself, you start looking at other girls, you want to be popular, you know, all those yes. type of things. So yes. it's those, those teen years are really delicate in terms mm. of confidence. Mm. Yeah. So mm. what's, what's next, Rita, for raising confident girls? Where would you like to yeah. see it go, you know? Well, at the moment, Raising Confident Girls is very, even though we have a forum online where people from all over the world come and discuss, in terms of doing things on the field, it's actually still very Lagos-centric, mm. as in a lot of things are done in Lagos. So yes. right now, we, we're, we're doing this campaign where we want other members to find organizations in their areas, whether it's Abuja, whether it's the, the North, whether it's Awari, anywhere. We want, we want to get members that are taking this movement to their states mm -hmm. and doing events in their state mm -hmm. so that we you know we all we're all under the same umbrella but mm -hmm. just because we're based in lagos doesn't mean that we can't have events in other places mm -hmm. you know so that's where we're at now we're just mm -hmm. asking members to find organizations that we can partner with and we can you know the same kind of success that we're having in lagos we want it to happen all over nigeria and then mm -hmm. you know in the future further out of nigeria mm -hmm. so that's our goal oh that's yes. amazing that's amazing <laughs> So, Rita, um, let's go back a little bit and talk about 
Igbo as a dying language because one of I've been reading recently that uh, yeah. by 2020 the the language mm. itself will be extinct. Yeah. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. What do you think? It is a real concern for me, you know, because um one of the reasons why a lot of Igbos outside of Igbo land don't go back to the east is because of security. You know, when I was growing up, we were always in the village. And what I find is that when I go to the east, that is when I pick up the language. That is when I feel more fluent, like after mm-hmm. a few days of speaking to my aunties and all of that. So that is where I pick up the language. And I do worry about that, especially for my children. You know, mm-hmm. if we're not going back so often and they're not hearing the language, then how are they going to, you know, pick it up? Mm-hmm. Um uh, there was a time that I was in my father-in-law's house and there was this trader that came in with his five kids and this is in Onitsha. And he was so proud to tell my father-in-law that none of his kids spoke Igbo. Oh, wow. And these are these are in Igbo land and they go to school, you know, maybe wow. a British international school. Yeah. And he was just saying, they don't speak Igbo because my father-in-law was asking them, Kedu and all of that. And they just were looking at him. Wow. And I just thought, you're in Igbo land and you've got all these children and you, they, they don't mm. understand Igbo. And he was very proud to say it. Mm. Funny enough, my father-in-law surprisingly didn't say anything to him. I thought he was going <laughs> to give him a good telling off. But why do you think you that know? is? That it's, it's, It was almost like he was proud to say they don't speak Igbo, like he's ashamed mm. of being Igbo or he's ashamed of the language. I don't understand that. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's there's some kind of colonial mentalism, you know, mm. even in Lagos, you see it on the radio, a lot of people that are radio presenters, they all sort of have foreign accents. <laughs> so unfortunately, yes, there is this thing here where we prefer the sound of, you know, and even I would say myself, sometimes I do get opportunities because of my accent. Yeah, you know? that's so true. So we, we, we do have all those um, those. Mm. Um, challenges yeah yeah and even I remember when I was teaching elocution to some to kids in a secondary I mean in a primary school the mothers actually wanted me to teach their kids to sound like my accent and I said to them that I can't do that they Mm. weren't raised in the UK I can only teach them how to pronounce words properly but you know I don't want you to think that they're going to come out sounding like this yeah some of them do actually because some people especially you see some kids they they they, for American accents they can watch American movies and you see some kids and you're like, were they raised abroad? <laughs> they were. <laughs> but not with the British accent. Yeah, I don't think you yeah. can do that. Though. That's so interesting. Yeah. That is so Ooh. interesting. Yeah, yeah. I know. I, I think it's a concern for me as well. It's like, yeah. to your point, unless you speak it regularly, it's it's, it's a language it. that you can lose, you know. And I think mm. we, I think what I'm so happy about now, especially mm. people like yourself and people in our generation are really looking yeah. for ways to resurrect it and make that culture uh, more yeah. alive and keep it going and find ways to um, speak mm. the language even though we're not yeah. in the east you know but uh, it, it mm. is a challenge I agree it yeah. is a big challenge so yeah. so lastly before you go hmm. do you have a favorite book or resources that you'd like to recommend to the audience yes there's a book that really changed my life um, I don't know if you've heard of it but it's called Success Principles by Jack Canefield and yeah. it's just a book. It's a personal development book. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that it talks about in the book, which really struck me, was that you have to take 100% responsibility for your life. Mm-hmm. And when I caught on to that, that just stopped me from blaming other people. And mm-hmm. that, unfortunately, that's what happens here. We blame the government. We blame this. We blame that. Yes, they, you know, there are issues there. But you've got to, you know, for my life goal is to, my life mantra, should I say, is to take 100%, 100% responsibility mm-hmm. for my life. So that is a really good book. Mm. In terms of Igbo resources, I think that um, Africa Magic has an Igbo channel now. Oh, I don't wow. know if you've watched it yet. I did not know that. Oh, yes. wow. Okay. So, yeah. And then there's also um, 
Ebo 101 on iPhone. Yes. So that's an app. I do have that. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. yes. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. That's mm-hmm. great. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. We have to speak our dialect. We have to be going home more often. Yeah. And one thing I would say is that I, um, another thing that happened to me was that in 2017, me and my husband, after being married for like nearly 18 years, we went back and we finished the Igbo traditional Ibanku. Mm-hmm. You know, we hadn't finished it because we were in the UK and, yeah. you know, all sorts of thing happened. And, and I, you know, got to understand more about that, you know. And even this year when my mother-in-law passed away, there was a lot of custom and culture that was really fascinating mm-hmm. that, you know, I got to learn and everything. So mm. the Igbo culture is very rich it, and it um, I just it hope that uh, our children... You know, we have to keep talking to them, having conversations yes. with them. I've already told Chisholm, you're the Adda, you know, that, yes. what that means. You have to look after your brother. Yes, <laughs> you know? yes, yeah. And all of that. So and finding just, ways yeah. to expose them to the culture, yes. not just speaking the yeah. language, which is hugely yes. important, but also giving exactly. them a sense of pride of the culture That's as well. It. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. This has been great. So I, I just want to ask about your platform. So okay. we talked about, let's, let's go one at a time, because I know you're involved in quite a lot of different three things. of them yeah. yes exactly <laughs> mm, um you yeah. talked about raising confident girls if people want to yes. get involved because i'm sure there are a lot of mothers out there with daughters and and they really want yes. to get involved what's the best way the best way is to go on our website we have a website which is raisingconfidentgirls.org mm-hmm. okay yes okay. or they can go on our facebook group we have we're, we're on we're, we're on facebook raising confident girls under the facebook group okay they can join us there Okay. And then also um, Majestically Rare, if people want to plan events or get some, you know, just reach out to you if they have comments. Yes. What's the best? Okay. MajesticallyRare.com. That's our website. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then you're on, you're, you're, you personally, you're on Instagram yes. and Facebook as well. Is that I am. Yeah. As, okay. Yes. Riri Okoye. Okay. Is my personal Instagram. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Ooh. This has been great, Rita. Thank you so much for joining us. You're again. welcome. Yeah. I'm so, so grateful. Thanks for your support. And uh, we'll talk no soon. No problem. This is lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you very much. Of course. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye bye. Please remember to subscribe and provide a rating in iTunes. You can also access all episodes in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and of course, my website. Again, the web address is www.theebo.com. Thanks again for listening today and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye-bye.